0: interesting topics to kick off your weekend looking at the news with an eye of faith this is friendly fire with Stu Kerr on the voice of Lincoln 14993 KLIN
1: good saturday morning it's a friendly fire saturday stu Kearns, your host and yes i'm back uh I, I am in the middle of a sabbatical and thanks so much to Dan Alberts uh for doing the last 3 weeks in fact uh Dan is going to be doing next week as well uh, I'm squeezing in a few trips and just a few breaks and uh and on sabbatical one of the things I've been doing is visiting other churches and uh, let me just say this there are a lot of great churches in Lincoln that'll teach you the bible uh, teach you uh, to love Jesus and to be a great place to worship and I've got to visit a bunch of them and I have yet to visit one that I wouldn't say sure that's a that's a good church filled with people who love Jesus and who want to tell people about Jesus and who want to live their life in a way that pleases God. It's a pretty, it's a pretty cool thing. Um, so uh, this week, uh, I'm really pleased to have in studio uh, somebody I've known for a fair amount of time here and uh, knew his, uh, still know his parents and knew them before I knew him, uh, but uh, has been working at the Nebraska Family Alliance. Uh, I'll ask him just in a minute how many years, but uh, it's good to have Nate Graz here with us, who is the policy director how are you
2: doing, Nate? Yes, yeah, Stu. I'm doing great. And it's nice to be back with you. Appreciate you breaking your sabbatical just to talk with me.
1: Oh, I'll tell you, well, you know, the really important people, you always just got to make, got to bend the rules a little bit here. That's right. <laughs> and so, how long have you been with NFA?
2: I've been with NFA for eight years now. All right, eight yeah. years. Yep.
1: My how time flies. Yeah, yeah, it's been and crazy. then you, you grew up in Omaha?
2: Yeah, I grew up in Omaha. Uh, mm. That's where my family's still out. And I uh, went to school out in Colorado at Colorado Christian University and mm-hmm. then moved back and have been here in Lincoln. Uh, with Nebraska Family Alliance for the past eight years
1: now. Yes, yes, and uh, working with uh, our good friend uh, Karen Bowling yep, there. Yep. And uh, uh, Karen is uh, is awesome. We all know that, right? Yep, yep.
2: She's it- a fantastic leader, happy warrior, and yes. it's uh, a lot of fun and privilege getting to uh, be in the trenches on these you know issues that we care a lot about day in and day out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely we're going to go ahead and, and we're going to talk about uh some of the stuff that's been that uh, went through this last uh session of the unicameral and so forth. Um but I also want to talk about uh other things related to that because we're uh wow, it's just it was by the way it was a loaded session wasn't it?
2: <laughs> that's that's for sure. Uh un, un, unprecedented uh lots of ups and downs but um you know for everything that happened we still got, we saw God work in some really amazing ways, mm-hmm. and we're thankful to see some really important things get done.
1: Yeah, yeah. There, uh, now, as I go down memory lane, we were talking before as we were uh, prepping a little bit. And uh, one year ago today, I don't know if you remember where you were, uh, I was uh, in my truck uh, pulling my camper back from the national uh, denominational meeting uh, down in Birmingham. And all of a sudden, I had to listen to a little music, a little radio, because all of a sudden, I was going to listen to radio the rest of the day because something big happened. Uh, and uh, where were you?
2: Yeah, I was uh, at our office um, mm. one year ago today, and we were actually scheduled to have a uh, you know volunteer work project day. So we were wearing jeans and dirty work clothes, doing some projects outside uh, when we got the news that the United States Supreme Court had issued the Dobbs decision, which... Finally and officially overturned Roe versus Wade.
1: Yes, that was you know if you're like me, I've been uh, we've been praying about this well for decades, and uh, and for such a long time, and it almost felt like well this is this could never happen, this is not going to happen, and then it was interesting to see the reporting that day. I think the reporting was almost exclusively uh, about how bad it was. And I, and I, and, uh, I was listening very carefully to see if there was anybody who might report something that, well, actually for them, this was an answer to prayer, or this was a good thing. And I can say that listening for an entire day of NPR, uh, I, I only heard one voice and that was somebody who was a politician for Mississippi and, uh, which I was in that neck of the woods at the time. Um. Uh, I was—I've never experienced a day of such one-sided reporting in my life, and I've been through a lot. Uh, but it was—and uh, I get this—it's a very divisive issue, and, and in fact, there's probably hardly a more polarizing issue in our country. But that day, you would have only thought that there was one side to that issue, and—and uh, and it was not my side.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, that was something that, I mean, literally nearly 50 years in in the making. And one mm-hmm. of the things that the majority opinion wrote in that decision was that Roe was egregiously wrong and it was wrong from the start, but it had been so deeply ingrained into mm-hmm. people, you know, for nearly 50 years uh, that most people thought we might not ever see uh United States without Roe v. Wade as the law of the land. And so to finally... Uh, see that decision after decades of prayer and advocacy really was amazing. Uh, but there there was and still is so much bad information out there about what that decision actually did, what Roe actually was and what overturning it it means, which was simply really to say that the United States Supreme Court is no longer going to be in the business of making law and imposing it on all 50 states and Really, just giving it back to the people through their elected representatives to decide for themselves how they're going to handle this issue yeah. and whether they will or will not provide greater protection to the lives of unborn children.
1: Yeah, that was, and that was probably the number one piece I felt like that day of of whatever. I mean, I in my mind it felt like disinformation, but it could be interpreted a number of ways. And that was that it was uh, everybody kept saying this is the end of abortion in America. And that was never going to be the case. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. All it did was, uh, uh, well, explain what it did.
2: Yeah. And so really, I mean, by overturning Roe, uh, the Supreme Court was leaving it now to the states to decide how they're going to regulate uh, abortion. And so uh, what what we've seen over this past year in light of that decision is some states moving uh, to pass legislation or enact laws to... Uh, protect unborn children from abortion at, at different stages, and, and other states moving the complete opposite direction and passing legislation to expand access to abortion. Yeah. Um, so it was nearly a 50-year battle uh, to see Roe overturned. And the reality is, um, you know, we have to continue working because really the for the pro-life movement, just overturning Roe was never the goal. Hmm. You know, we want to empower women and save as many lives from abortion as possible, and now that we're in this new post row stage, our work is more important than ever because we have new and better opportunities um, to find ways to protect the lives of these precious children. And and so that's what we're committed to doing at Nebraska Family Alliance. And so many people across our state are continuing to to work uh, to make Nebraska a better and safer place for, for women and children and for families.
1: Yeah. And by the way, some of these state referendums have not all turned out the ways that many of us would have predicted. Uh, I think uh, wasn't there a referendum in uh, in uh, Kansas yep. that uh, we would think Kansas being very like minded to us in many ways, but it didn't uh, it didn't go the way that I would have expected.
2: Yeah, Kansas was really a, an unfortunate and unique situation. Uh, just the the timing of it uh, being you know immediately on the heels of Roe being overturned, and the way that the the ballot initiative question was was worded uh, was very confusing. And then what we saw was, I mean, just millions and millions of dollars poured into Kansas uh, from out of state uh, to mislead voters. And, and so that's, you know, what we're going to continue to be up against really this, this battle for information, and that at the end of the day, this isn't just about winning policy battles or, you know, being right or being wrong. But, you know, this is about, you know, saving lives and protecting yeah. women. Um, and, you know, really trying to uh, reach people. Where they 're at and, and change hearts and minds because this this issue is never going to solely be decided by any one court decision or any one law. Uh, this has to be something that we're continuing to to educate people on you know the science and, and the beauty of human development and the value and sanctity of every single human life, uh, and we can never never lose sight of you know what's really at the heart of this issue, um, which is whether or not we will protect the lives of innocent and defenseless children. Um, who we know are unique individual human beings. They have their own DNA, their own heartbeats, and they're guilty of nothing other than existing. Mm. Um, And, you know, really at the heart of that message, too, that we need to be getting out there is that we can love them both. This doesn't have to be one or the other. We can value and love and support uh, the mother and her family and come alongside her, and we can support and love and care for that child in the womb.
1: Yeah, yeah that's uh this uh, of all the issues in our culture that are most polarizing and and seem just completely irre- irreconcilable uh this this is the one i've lived with the longest <laughs> and uh and i i always feel compelled when these kinds of things come up just to s- say things that may seem fairly obvious but that is i have no interest in telling women how to live their lives and telling you know uh, restricting the rights of people to live however they they see fit but we do have an understanding when your life intersects with somebody else's life that's a game changer and and you can't just say well i'm going to live my life when when your life directly intersects with another life it' it's It's, it's kind of common sense, but it we don't we don't look at it that way uh, or many people don't look at it that way
2: yeah, that's exactly right and you know i I think we can just think about how inconsistent and also you know unsustainable it is that our laws recognize the intentional death of a child in the womb as fetal homicide when that child is wanted, but if that very same life is ended in an abortion clinic, it's called reproductive care. Yeah. And so, really, you know, abortion has turned reproductive care, you know, into a euphemism for lethal violence against the most vulnerable members of society. It's it's pitted men against women and and parents against their own children, and it's undermined our shared understanding of the sanctity of human life, and even just in Nebraska, uh, taking 200,000 lives, you know, it's 10% of our state population. Um, but th- the good news is that in the same, you know, nearly 50 year time period, for all the damage that, that Roe and, and abortion has done to our society, we've seen incredible advancements in, in science and in technology. And, you know, we can see in 3D and 4D ultrasounds that, you know, clearly this, this is a baby, this is a human life. And so we know that behind every choice is a child and that women and children deserve better than to be abandoned to abortion.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're going to take our first break. When we come back, uh, a part of this last session was dealing with this issue. So we want to understand the nuts and bolts of that a little bit. Talking with uh, Nate Graz, he's the policy director for uh, NFA, Nebraska Family Alliance, and uh, glad to have you along. Freshen up the coffee. We're just getting started. We're talking about some hard things today, but we'll, we're going to talk about some hopeful things too. So hang in there with us. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3, KLIN.
0: Keeping the topics lively and the conversation civil. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3, KLIN
1: rolling right along on a Saturday morning it's a friendly fire Saturday uh, talking today with Nate Gross he's the uh, policy director at NFA and uh, we were talking about uh, again the the change of, of the Dobbs uh, verdict from a year ago and then the impact it's had in a variety of states and, and one of the things we were going to talk about was this last legislative session because that was one of the one of the issues that dominated the session was uh, what what does Nebraska want to do on this particular issue and uh and back up a little bit uh, maybe how that process started and then how it finally ended up at this uh, at the end of the session
2: yeah you know so this past legislative session which just ended a couple of weeks ago this was the first time that our state legislature was was in session uh without Roe. Mm-hmm. and so i mean this was the the best opportunity that we'd had in literally 50 years um, to enact legislation uh, to save lives from from abortion. So, you know, we, we knew going into session that that was obviously going to be, you know, not only the, the main focal point for, for us and for other pro-life organizations, but really an issue that would dominate the entire session. Um, and so coming off the heels of that decision, you know, it's something everyone was Um, You know, looking at very closely, watching to see what what would be done in Nebraska. And, you know, really, it it culminated around LB 626, uh, the Nebraska Heartbeat Act, uh, which was a bill to uh, protect the lives of children as soon as a uh, fetal heartbeat could be detected. And um, it was a really uh, important bill and and actually, you know, made it out of committee and even passed through the, the first round of voting to overcome a filibuster. You need 33 votes and it received 33 exactly. And then very uh, unexpectedly during the second round of debate, uh, there was uh, one senator who changed their vote and voted president not voting and actually caused that uh, heartbeat bill to fail to advance by one single vote. And when, when that happened, um, you know, sort of everything uh, was it was undetermined what was what was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like everything was was falling apart. No one sure if anything was going to get done. Um, we had a lot of uh, great people who never quit working, some very. Uh, dedicated senators, uh, you know, our our governor and his team um, we're just, you know, relentless and saying, you know, we're not going to let this session pass by um, without getting something done, you know, for all the, uh, you know, tax reform and, and tax breaks and, and things that, that can get done. Those are all great. But if we're not doing everything we can uh, to protect the lives of our most vulnerable citizens, you know, we're, we're not okay with that. Um, and so although it wasn't everything that that we wanted, and there's still a lot more work to be done, uh, we were able to, uh, see an amendment brought, um, uh, to LB 574, which was another bill, um, to protect children from, uh, transgender surgeries that, that then incorporated a new, uh, restriction on abortion at, at 12 weeks. And so that, that did pass and was signed into law. Um, and so I think it's important to remember too, where we were at, which, uh, it was a 20 week law, which actually really was allowing elective abortion until really 22 weeks gestation. There are only seven countries in the entire world that allow abortion that late into a pregnancy, including countries like China and North Korea. Mm. And so by moving our, our abortion law from 22 to 12 weeks gestation uh, that was really important for a number of reasons. And um, so we were able to ensure that, you know, Nebraska wasn't going to become a destination state for mm-hmm. abortion in the Midwest, which was a real risk. Um, and then also, you know, it really, this was this was big because it's finally ending the practice of of late-term abortion. And so, uh, again, it wasn't everything we hoped to see accomplished, and, and we're going to have to renew and, and keep working on, on those efforts to keep winning hearts and minds, uh, but that was a really... Uh, Important development uh, to see that bill and that 12 week amendment get across the finish line.
1: So, that's sometimes we talk about first trimester, second trimester. So, this is basically would uh, uh, limit uh, first trimester, but not second or third trimester. Correct. Uh, Yeah, or or the other way around. Right. Yes. Yep. That's right. Um, Now, uh, one of the things is uh, when these kind of bills come up. I, this is a little bit. I don't want to get too wonky, but one of the things because the transgender bill and then this uh, amendment related to the twelve-week bill, uh, I know in the past there have been all kinds of conversations about two topics, and and bills being ruled that they're not you know whatever they're not legal because they they involve two topics, and I. I've heard that in the past. I heard that claim. Then again, I, I think it was, was passed anyway. I don't know if it's being tested legally or not. But uh, what? Again, without getting too super wonky about that, how uh, how does this? How did this work to where there wasn't a concern about that two topic uh, issue?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, and unfortunately, it, right, there already has been a, a legal challenge from Planned Parenthood and the ACLU to this law. Um, but we're, we're very confident that, uh, you know, this law is, is going to stand because, you know, fundamentally, the, the entire bill is really about protecting children and letting mm. them grow both inside and outside of the womb. Uh, but, but specifically, actually, both the, um, you know, restriction on performing transgender surgeries on children and then on prohibiting abortion after 12 weeks gestation, uh, the, the bill that was ultimately passed, you know, both of those issues were actually dealing with the same section of statute. Okay. Uh, which was to uh, regulate um, certain procedures that would be considered unprofessional conduct by mm-hmm. a medical professional. Uh, and so it's in you know the same, the same chapter of statute. It's relating to the same subject matter, what uh, procedures they, they can and can't perform that would be considered unprofessional conduct. Uh, so there was an a, a underlying and natural um, connection uh, all the way around. And mm-hmm. so that's why our, our senators were able to uh, combine those and ultimately get it passed and, and signed into law.
1: Gotcha. So the, I mean, the heart of both of them is the protection of uh, the health and right. life of of youth.
2: Yep, absolutely, one hundred percent.
1: Yeah. yeah. The, uh, speaking of which, then the the transgender thing that uh, the bill that this was uh, the vehicle for, or the or the one the other part of that bill then that came through. Um, it's amazing how fast this train has come down the tracks, uh, and this is. Uh, uh, I you know for most of us again we 're still kind of figuring it out and, and, and figuring out what 's going on. Uh, I think uh, for a lot of people out there, if they follow j k Rowling and uh, uh, the Harry Potter author and uh some of the positions that she 's taken and the heat that she 's taken for questioning uh, uh, transgender uh surgeries on youth specifically uh, and it 's been and all the states are talking about this now um and uh, it's surprising, it, it, I, you know, again, I don't get surprised by a lot, but I have been surprised that there hasn't been a more of a common sense of, hey, if you're an adult, you do whatever you want to do. That's up to you. If you can find a doctor who wants to, you know, treat you this way, then that's, that's your choice. We understand that uh, we're all made very differently and uniquely. Uh, but it seemed to me like that. Wow, how how could we not all rally around the, the the idea that 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 boy, young people are just simply not capable of of consenting to something so dramatic, so radical. Uh, was uh, was it hard to get people to? Uh, I mean, I know there are some loud voices who are in favor of this, but uh, or in favor of allowing the surgeries. But but was the debate really even that divided?
2: You know, it, yes and no. I mean, it was, you know, really fascinating uh, just to see the, uh, you know, those who were opposed to this legislation, this idea that, right, that children can't consent to these types of, of procedures and they need to be at least 19, mm-hmm. you know, before you're removing the healthy body parts of, of children. And I think most people get that. Um, but, but, you know, the those who were in favor of it, that this ideology, I mean, it was the single issue it was the hill that they were willing to die on and in fact and you know in their own words they were going to burn the entire session to the ground over this one issue you know they mm. uh, we had a, a filibuster not just of that bill but of every single bill over this mm. one issue uh, and mm. so that's you know how how far you know proponents of this ideology are are willing to go um, and I, I think we can learn a lot from that um, mm. so it's really important uh, that we were able to to get this done Uh, to protect children. But I think it also really shows that, you know, again, even when you're just saying, hey, you can't do permanent, irreversible sex change surgeries on on children, you know, even even that, um, you know, for them, it it undermines the entire ideology behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this idea that, you know, you really can choose your gender or change your sex. And uh, so even not allowing children to do that, um, for them is something that, that they can't get behind.
1: Yeah. Let's let's take another break. When we come back, there's just a few ancillary issues related to this that I'd like to explore a little bit more, and then we'll get further deeper into the session here. There are some other exciting things that happened, too. Uh, but uh, talking with Nate Gross here today, he's the policy director at NFA. Glad to have you along. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday on The Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. <laughs>
0: Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns. 1,499.3 KLIN.
1: We are back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday talking with Nate Graz. He's the policy director at NFA, Nebraska Family Alliance. Uh, Alliance. I almost said association.
0: You know,
2: it's an A. Still an A. It's one of those A <laughs> words. Still NFA. Right. There you
1: go. Um, they, we were talking about then the... Uh, Again, the uh, transgender issue uh, and the surgeries on uh, young people and so forth. I know that one of the folks that gave testimony uh, was a young woman who, uh, and helped me on the details on this, but my understanding was that she received, uh, again, uh, surgery to uh, remove her breasts uh, at age 16. Yep. And this is not somebody from New York or California or where, I mean, it's from, Jews from Omaha, right? Yep uh tell me a little bit about her uh situation
2: yeah you know that was one of the really um compelling things that we saw um was you know the support for this legislation but uh even from from those who had uh gone through it mm-hmm. uh including this uh young woman who as as a as a minor um you know was was really pushed in this this direction um that resulted in in surgeries to uh, remove her breasts and um was willing um to come forward and, and share her story publicly and actually testify in front of our health and human services committee and in support of this bill and to say that this was you know this this was not helpful this was not what she needed she needed you know real care and support and and time um and now there are all sorts of you know complications and things that now she has to deal with uh, mm-hmm. as as a result of what was done to her as a child and you know we're, we're starting to see this more and more and and that's that's the the real tragedy in this is that as this uh this issue has progressed so quickly uh is that now we're starting to see you know more more people you know coming through this on the other side um and saying you know where why was this done to me you know where where were the adults uh who who could have helped me mm. um and and especially when we look at some of the European countries who were um, further ahead on some of this who are now actually going the complete other direction now saying this went too far, you know, too quickly. And uh, all of the, the studies and data that's coming back is showing that, um, you know, these surgeries, these procedures are not doing what proponents claim, um, you know, for mental health and, and for and, and, uh, their well-being uh, mm-hmm. and are now actually, you know, pumping the brakes and, and not allowing this sort of thing. And so uh, that's why it was so important uh, that our legislature passed uh, this law this year so that we don't have uh, more children uh, going through that and then coming out on the other side um, yeah. who have been harmed.
1: Yeah, there it is. It is fascinating. Uh, Sweden, the UK, other places—they've done a com- almost complete uh, about yep. face, and uh, and and yet we're 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 not listening. The uh, Sweden was the birthplace of of the yeah. uh, uh, transgender surgeries, right?
2: Right. Yep. Yeah, a lot, a lot started over there. Um, they were really early in pushing mm-hmm. some of the stuff, and now they're <laughs> right—they're going the complete opposite direction, and we should take notice of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's worth taking notice of. Um, It is. And again, you know, one of the things, by the way, as a pastor that drives me crazy, you know, a lot of the churches have, you know, you are welcome signs. And I just want to say, if there's a church in Lincoln that does not say everyone is welcome, then shame on them. That's of course people are welcome. Everybody is welcome at my church and at any church that loves Jesus. They love people. They love the people. Every person who comes in the door. Every one of them, and and yet I, I it, you know, at Zion we have a little, a little saying is that uh, Zion is a hospital for sinners, and if you think that Jesus wants to save you but he does not interested in helping you live your best life, then well, you don't know Jesus. And but that's okay. I mean, people and people learn. I'm still learning. We're, there's, there's a lot to learn about what it means to love and follow Jesus. But uh, but the idea that there are certain places where certain people aren't welcome uh, it breaks my heart because if there if there is a, a church out there that says yeah well we love Jesus but we don't love you then shame on them that that should never be we we love everyone uh who uh who God made and uh and they all bear his image they're all of of incalculable worth and uh and 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 that ought to be just as plain as the nose on our face um, but uh but by the same token when i when i say i love Jesus and Jesus says, follow me, then you've got a choice to make. Do I want to follow him or not? Uh, and uh, and that that's a different question. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question of uh, do we love people uh, ought to be, uh, well, it shouldn't be a question. It should be so obvious that people can see the way we love each other. Uh, that's By the way, it's one of the reasons why I like, uh, you know, you and Karen and the folks down at NFA, uh, not only are are spot on with the policies and, and you've thought about this stuff and you're very sharp, but uh, uh, it's a group of people who love Jesus and love people. And uh, and to be around you guys for even a short period of time, I think is something that uh, you can pretty easily see.
2: Well, I, I appreciate that. And that's really a an important message. And I think that's what, uh, what people need to hear and need to see. And, and really for us, that's why we do what we do, as you just said, is because we love God and we love people. And at the end of the day, Politics matter because policies matter because people matter. Mm. This is about people and how we love and, and care for our neighbors. And, you know, government and politics isn't the only way that we that we do that and shouldn't be the only way that we do that. But it is a way, and it's a very important yeah. way. Um, but, you know, if, if we're not, you know, uh, leading with, with grace, you know, bringing truth with grace, if we're not, um, you know, reaching people where they're at and showing them that love and compassion, then we're never going to break through to them. Um, so it can never be just about, you know, winning these political or policy battles. Really, it's about winning hearts yeah. and minds and making sure that everything we do, everything we say uh, is is reflective of both the uh, truth and, and love of Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, since we're on the topic, that was something we were talking about, again, off air, is uh, that I think increasingly Christians have this kind of feeling of, well, you know, I... I I don't want, i don 't want to make my life about my politics, but politics does matter and it has implications and policies impact friends and neighbors and and people I love uh and and by the same token then we 'll be like yeah, but i don't want them to miss what is the heart of my life is my my relationship with God, my love for Jesus my savior and i don't want, i don 't want those two things to get uh, i don 't want them to be in competition against one another. Uh, how Do you have any advice for those who kind of feel like, oh, I don't know how to navigate this. I'm kind of, I, you know, I, I think the policy matters, but I, think, but I want people to see my faith more than that. they see my politics. Uh, any, th- any thoughts there?
2: Yeah, a lot of thoughts because that that is such uh, a critical question, right? Because yeah. we do feel and see this this tension. And I think a lot of times you see people swing really far both directions, you know, where they make uh, politics an idol or the center of their lives and everything revolves around it. Uh, or on the flip side, when we just uh, neglect it uh, entirely. And I think both of those positions are uh, not what we see uh, in in Scripture. Um, So really, I think for for too long, too many people have been led to believe that Christians should avoid anything that is uh, political, usually from the perspective that you want to avoid offending someone. And really, we need to stop worrying about what's perceived as political and start focusing on what's biblical. So we see clearly that in Scripture that it was God who created government. God created government, so we should remember that, and he created it for the specific purpose of rewarding what is good and punishing what is evil. So what happens when people who know the truth, what is good and what is evil, stop participating and don't engage in government? Well, what happens when we step away, we create a gap, but that gap gets filled, and it gets filled with everything except the truth and except for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the one thing that people really need. We know that ideas have consequences, but bad ideas and bad laws have victims. So that's why we need significant Mm -hmm. Christian influence on government. And in light of that too, we also need to remember that there's no such thing as a political issue. There's no such thing as a political issue because politics isn't a category of issues. Politics is simply a process. Mm -hmm. And just because an issue is being debated in our political process should not determine whether or not we care about it. If God cares about an issue, we should care about it, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's take our last break and when we come back, I want to pick up on that theme a little bit because I, uh, that's gold right there. It's, uh, how, do we, how do we recover uh, actually having meaningful conversations with people that don't turn into to shouting or name-calling or, or uh, whatever, uh, shadow banning or whatever it is that, that is the latest trend? How do we actually do that? Uh, and uh, I would, I'd love to think about that just a little bit. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday talking with Nate Graz. He's the policy director at NFA. And uh, glad to have you along. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday on 1499.3 KLIN.
0: Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds, on the voice of Lincoln. ninety nine three KLIN.
1: Welcome back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday talking with Nate Graz here. He's the policy director at NFA. And Nate, it is that time of the program. We always do a shameless plug. So you can plug anything you want to. Plug away.
2: Well, we're talking about some great things. Uh, but really, you know, one of the things we, we like to tell people is that being being engaged starts with being informed. Uh, and a great way to do that, great place to start uh, is our website, nebraskafamilyalliance.org. Uh, we have a lot of great information and free resources that are available there. Uh, and then also we're really excited, we have our annual Life in Liberty Gala uh, that will be coming up a little bit later uh, this fall, September 7th uh, in Omaha. Uh, we actually have uh, Dr. Ben Carson who's uh, going to uh, be the keynote speaker. It'll be a really great uh, great event to celebrate what, what God is doing uh, through our, our ministry and uh, where people can learn more and, and help partner with us to uh, advance you know, family and freedom and life and the issues that we're talking about here in our state.
1: That's great. Ben Carson. Yeah. All right. That's uh well that's a nationally known name yeah yeah how it's uh
2: it'll be uh it'll be really great. I think he's going to have a really uh powerful and inspiring message that hopefully people will be able to take a lot away from
1: yeah 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 that's great that's great um this whole idea of uh of recapturing debate of uh kind of circling back to that how do we because it isn't just politics it's almost anything i mean we're uh we're we're so polarized and i and I do think that to some degree. Uh, there are voices on what I would call the far left and the far right that are not actually the They're not actually any kind of a majority in either on either side of the spectrum, but they're very loud And then you get kind of the more moderate left more moderate right you kind of uh, you know uh, Whatever center left center right people who think of themselves a bit more centrist um, What are what are some of the strategies we could think about in terms of of getting out of my own silo? making sure that I've uh, that i'm I'm actually practicing good listening and and, and, a, and charitable listening uh to others what are some ideas that that you might have
2: yeah well I think you're right it really starts with listening mm-hmm. um, you know these conversations are best had uh, you know with people that you have relationship with uh, because you you know them you know they know you there needs to be a certain level of uh, trust uh, and respect that that goes both ways and uh, I think another big key is is asking questions, mm-hmm. uh, asking good questions. You know, how how did you reach that conclusion or, you know, how did you come to that decision? You know, could I share how I reached my decision or, you know, have you thought about this or from this perspective? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when when you're genuinely listening and, you know, listening to understand, not just to hear, but listening to understand and asking good questions, that can really open up. Um, some really, really powerful dialogue and and also hopefully you know maybe soften the the person uh, that you 're talking to as well and help open them up to mm-hmm. maybe a different mm-hmm. or newer uh, per perspective um, yeah. and so it's it 's important that 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 's always you know front and center when you 're having these conversations because uh, very easily and very quickly uh, people do just kind of retreat you know to their to their corners and um, dig their heels into the ground, um, but showing that you know we 're willing to engage and have those respectful conversations. Um seems like that's becoming a lost art, um, but I think there's really a, a longing for that, and the more we can do you know, to demonstrate um, that we're able and willing to do that, I think, the better.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, actually, that's um, I say amen to that. I've, one of the things I've told my folks is that the first steps of an evangelist are, are not actually quoting any Bible verses or any, any imparting any truth to anybody, but actually being kind and listening and being inquisitive. And uh, Francis Schaefer, uh, uh used to famously say some version of if I had one hour to spend with someone who did not know Christ, I would spend the first 50 minutes asking them questions and then the last 10 minutes seeing if I could say something about the gospel in Christ that would fit their circumstance. And uh, I don't think there's a one of us anymore who wants to listen for 50 minutes. <laughs> it's just, it's just, let's get right to, the, I'm going to tell you what to think. Uh, and, and, but, but when somebody does that for you, it's pretty powerful, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, I think as, as believers, you know, we don't only have the opportunity, but really the obligation to demonstrate that political engagement, having these difficult conversations, it it can be done in a way that shows both grace and truth, uh, you know, justice and humility and, and, and boldness and a willingness, uh, to listen. Um, and so I think that's, that's huge. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we just need to be mindful uh, because really, you know, choosing to avoid what are perceived as political issues is itself a political decision. Mm. It's the most political thing that, that you can do. Um, but our, our world is, is so desperately searching for truth. And God has graciously revealed to us uh, the answers to all of life's biggest questions and, and challenges uh, and so we need to be willing to, to step into that space, to stand in the gap, uh, to point people to the truth, and to do so with, with grace and with love.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, four minutes left. And I did want to touch on one last thing you mentioned, the um, okay school choice referendum petition. There's a petition... Uh, to repeal LB 753, uh, decode that for me. What's what's going on in this uh, in the bill and in the petition?
2: Yeah, you'll probably start to see uh, you know people out collecting signatures or, or advertisements and commercials now. Um, so one of the other big things that happened in our legislature this session is uh, we passed the first ever school choice bill into law, LB 753, um, and really it's all about keeping kids first and opening up doors of opportunity. Uh, for children who need it most in Nebraska. And unfortunately, uh, the State Teachers Union has already launched uh, an effort, a referendum petition, uh, to try to take that away. Um, so the law in question, what it does is simply establish a tax credit for private donations to nonprofit organizations that award scholarships uh, to families for parents to send their child uh, to the school of, of their choice. And it's important to know that this program that was established, it specifically prioritize, prioritizes the lowest-income families first, And then students with special needs, students who have experienced bullying, students from military families, and students in foster care. So it's really all about helping provide choice and hope Mm -hmm. to the most disadvantaged students. And again, this is just a a tax credit to incentivize private donations. uh, So it's not doing anything to take away, you know, funds from public schools. Uh, And actually it was a Senator Justin Wayne, a Democrat senator from North Omaha, um, who said it really well that this isn't an anti-public school bill. It's a pro-parent bill. That's really what what this is about. Um, and so right now there's an effort to collect signatures, to uh, put it on the ballot in 2024 to try to repeal it. Um, so I think it's really important that people understand what this policy actually does, that it is really just trying to help um, create some freedom and choice and education for uh, for children who, who need it and otherwise couldn't afford it. And so we're encouraging people uh, not, not to sign that petition. And there's a lot of great uh, information and resources that are also available. At Nebraska dot com.
1: Why? Um, not to speak for the other side, but if you could, I mean, you've heard the arguments. Well, this doesn't seem to uh, be a detriment to the public schools whatsoever, and yet they're still opposed to it. What What is the nature of the opposition? Uh, that that it eventually it will take away funding, or that eventually it will erode the support, or do we? Or, or, we don't really know
2: yeah you know we, we've we've heard everything and it's also important to note that nebraska i think was the 49th state to pass school choice legislation so everybody else you know virtually has has been doing this or something like it mm-hmm. um and so we're we're really behind um and it you know it, it's never you know led to you know the end of public education or anything i think part of it has to do you know with uh you know control um, and, and just maintaining you know a stronghold over over education, um, but I think when people understand what the bill is actually doing and, and what it 's not doing uh, it 's really difficult for for anyone to oppose um, because it 's simply giving families choice and an opportunity um, it 's not taking anything away from anyone um, and hopefully you know supporting families uh, supporting kids we know that children learn differently in different environments and the best public school might not be the best for every student and the best private school might mm-hmm. not be the best for every student, you know? So why not, um, you know, put power back into the hands of, of parents where, where it belongs, mm-hmm. uh, who know their children best and where they're going to thrive and, uh, yeah. get the best education.
1: Yeah. And then by the way, as a parent who has a private schooled, who has public schooled, yep. And even for one year, homeschooled, which <laughs> the trifecta. Was, I was, uh, we, I wondered when I was going to find a, a double homicide at home <laughs> with, uh, with the two that were being homeschooled at that point, but they, they did survive it. And, uh, so I can, I can say we've done them all and they all have their place, you know, uh, depending on the day. Hey, we're about out of time here, Nate. Thanks so much for coming in today. I sure do appreciate
2: it. Yes. Yeah, do Thanks for having me. Appreciate the conversation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, if you want to, uh, again, learn more. It is uh, NebraskaFamilyAlliance.org. Yep, you got it. How about that? I even remembered. Uh, NebraskaFamilyAlliance.org. Uh, it's great to be back. Uh, Dan Owens will be with you here next week. And then I'm uh, you're stuck with me for a while. Uh, it's good to be with you. I uh, hope you're enjoying your summer the way I am enjoying mine. And I leave you saying, as I always do, to think about it and talk about it. See you next time.